Welcome to Organisational Communication Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about effective communication strategies. Guests explore tactics targeted to specific stakeholders and consider their impact on the brand and reputation of the organisations they lead. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jagenba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode has had a long career of over 20 years at the Queensland Tourism Industry Council. Daniel Gishwin is also a board member of the National Tourism Alliance, deputy chair of the Reef and Rainforest Research Centre, and a member of the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority. As the Tourism Council's chief executive, an organisation which represents the interests of the tourism industry in Queensland, Daniel is well-placed to share his insights on organisational communication. Daniel Gishwin, welcome to the show. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Daniel, today we're talking about communication um, in the organisation, talking about communication internally, and but of course there's also communication externally to the media and communication amongst companies. And of course, you would be um, quite used to that sort of thing in your organisation and the fact that you have to communicate to all different businesses that make up tourism in Queensland. Can you tell the listener a little bit about your background and how communication affects what you do for work? Yes, communication is indeed central to who we are and central to what we do. We are a membership organisation attempting best as we can to represent in an industry, tourism hospitality industry that is very diverse and has multiple interests, usually overlapping, but not always. And we're trying to articulate viewpoints and opinions to governments, sometimes to the public in general. And we obviously go through our own communication channels, but also through the media, as you say. And what is important for us as an organization is that we maintain strong relationships with all our stakeholders. Our membership itself is very diverse, goes across the entire state uh, in the industry, all sectors, transport, accommodation, hospitality, and then also a circle of interested parties that may be members, such as universities, of course, that have an interest in tourism and hospitality, but also consulting firms, law firms, other suppliers to the industry. They're also in our membership. But then Beyond that, of course, we have the people we advocate to, that is governments, government departments, ministers at both state and federal levels where the policy decisions are made, but also, of course, uh, you know, bureaucracy and, and various players within that structure. And then, of course, there is a big, great world out there of other stakeholders, art institutions, transport institutions, construction companies, development companies. Uh, It's really quite an endless list, including researchers working on such things as the Great Barrier Reef, where complex issues arise. And in some ways, we try to communicate with all of them, 
not always simultaneously, but certainly in a coherent and consistent way. And that is uh, very much what uh, occupies our small team here. There's only 15 people in our organization who work here full time. And the scope of uh, topics and interest is indeed very, very broad. And just about anything that moves in a public policy space or public communication space has some touch point with tourism usually. <laughs> and it may not affect the entire industry, but somebody in our industry has an interest in most things that appear in the news in some way. Would it be fair to say that in your industry then communication is one of the key factors in keeping the business running, keeping it efficient and keeping everybody informed and happy? Absolutely. Look, the more complex an organism is, and tourism and hospitality is indeed a complex organism, the more important it is to have clear, concise, coherent communication that binds you together. A complex structure that is not organized as an army is, for instance, needs to have some, if not hierarchical relationship, then at least a communication relationship. So we can move in a consistent direction if that's what our industry needs. And that is indeed what our industry needs. So we can we can move forward. We have coordinated actions. And the only thing that binds us together, short of controlling anybody, which we don't, is communication and bringing people on board, if you like. How would you then describe strategic communication? Well, strategic communication really goes to the the very point of our organisation, which is to advance the interests of the tourism industry within the community, not uh, at the expense of the community, but with the community. And and clearly, we're a business organisation, so we're interested in advancing the economic or commercial interests of our members and of the industry more broadly. But we're also very conscious of our responsibility as an industry to advance the the social, the community benefits of our industry and also the environmental benefits of our industry. And some of those, some of the steps necessary to achieve these outcomes are very strategic, very long-term. You know, I'm thinking of the actions on climate change, for instance, the actions on protecting the Great Barrier Reef, the actions to ensure we have a, a skilled, workforce in our industry that is committed to uh, uh, the long-term future of the industry and also the experience development you know so we have an industry that is competitive globally competitive and can meet consumer demands these are big strategic changes that we're sometimes faced with and that we have to be involved in driving and that requires us as an organization and us as an industry to bring everybody along from the small operator who is flat out keeping the business going to the very large operators like airlines or airports or or big uh, accommodation providers. All of them have to buy into a shared idea, if you like, to move those big strategic issues. And you can only do that if you have a message that is consistent, is based on trust, and based on the relationships you have built and based on the values that you espouse and live and not just articulate. But this trust element is maybe the most important one, to be a trusted source of information and a trusted source 
to be listened to is uh, the most precious asset that we probably have as an organization. And we do all we can to take that and build on it and and live it and and deliver uh, to our audience. You've touched on them a bit just now, but what are some of those key principles that guide your communication, both in the office, but also externally? Do they have to do with uh, the strategy in terms of who communicates, when and how they communicate? Yes, I think, oh, yes, that is certainly very important. I mean, you have to establish a basis for your, your communication. So for our small organization, we have everybody obviously engaging with uh, stakeholders at various points as members, as participants in some discussion, and everybody within the organization is absolutely free to communicate as they need to, to maintain our relationships externally and internally in terms of the membership. That, that is a, a kind of a degree of trust. I, as, a, as the uh, chief executive, I have to have that trust in my staff members to buy into this common idea and uh, live it in their communication with our members. And Perhaps sometimes something goes wrong, goes off track a bit. That's a risk you have to take. You have to be able to trust your own team to be capable and and committed to the values that you have. And for more broad scale or media communications, we do try to keep it a bit tighter. So it would be generally uh, me communicating through the media to just present a consistent image and a consistent persona, if you like, and you do, that's what you assume uh, to extend, you know, a consistent persona for that large scale, more strategic communication. You know, our strategic plan as an organization is very short because it is strategic. So we map out with the, with the uh, engagement of the board, of course, whose responsibility it really is. We map out every five years uh, a strategic document. It, it is quite literally a double-sided A3 document that has a number of points on it, a number of themes that we follow and hope to deliver on. And it also, and this is maybe the most important part, it includes a set of about eight or 10 values that we take very seriously. And they relate to uh, our communication and our commitment to being truthful and unbiased and those kind of values, which are not just words for us, and we discuss them with our staff on a regular basis, because that's the only touchstone you have. We live in a world, generally, but also us as an organization, at no, no time more so than in COVID, we live in a world where things change every day. And I can't refer to a manual for every response we have to craft and every piece of communication we have to put out there. There is no manual for that. You know, this it may be at five in the morning that the media wants a response to something that happened overnight. And we may have literally five minutes to work out what we're going to say to this. And you can only do that if you have a basis, a platform, if you like, that you feel comfortable on which is those values, those general uh, ideas that you um, have mulled over with your members and stakeholders and you feel confident that you understand how you should respond. It is very, very important. I mean, it's, it's very almost intuitive to a point and you can only develop that. And that's perhaps the other important part that gets a bit forgotten uh, in communication. Communication is not a one-way street. You don't just shout at people. That's 
pointless. You know, you have to listen to people and you have to consider what your audience, uh, what situation your audience might find itself in. You know, what is their perspective? What are they seeing when they look at you speaking or when they listen to you? Where are they? You know, are they in a deep crisis at the moment? Are they facing enormous challenges? So they don't want to hear somebody pontificating about things that are irrelevant to them. So you have to have a capacity to build up a, an understanding of where your audience is at and what is it they hear, because it's not just what you say, it's what people hear. And that is sometimes a little bit different. You know, you, you may have a beautifully crafted message in your head, but if your audience hears something entirely different because of the situation they're in, then you've wasted an opportunity. So you have to, communication is as much about listening and understanding who you're talking to as it is talking. That's a really interesting paradigm you're describing there because not only are you saying that communication is a two-way street and you have to listen as well, even as a leader in um, these organizations, but also that the communication back and forth is constant. It's not something that you can plan and release strategically, although one does try but rather something that's guided by a set of values and principles that you choose to run your organization on so that you can have a consistent cycle of communication going back and forth between everybody that you have to speak with. Exactly. You articulated that very beautifully and more eloquently than I probably <laughs> did, but that really sums it up. To what extent do you feel your leadership is influenced by the communication demands of the environment in which you're business in which the organization that you lead functions well greatly uh, i have to say daniel it's uh, it's uh, something that we are challenged on almost every day but no time more so than in a crisis of course when everything goes well people are quite content generally you know the the, the trains rolling along and everybody is just a passenger and everything seems to happen in a in a really convenient way but when suddenly uncertainty is introduced and a crisis is looming or is upon us individually or collectively, then everybody is looking for something to hold on to, some message of certainty or some glimmer of hope even, you know, and that's when the communication needs really accelerate. And I think the last two years, not for the first time, but perhaps in a more comprehensive way ever, have really challenged us. And we had to recalibrate very, very dramatically what we, uh, not, not just what we say, but how often do we come, go out? What's the platform? How do we speak to people? And again, you have to be very flexible and, and you may well find yourself in situations that you couldn't really anticipate with all the, the planning and the strategizing and policy documents you may develop internally. A crisis can just completely blow everything out of the water that you thought you were prepared for. And, and COVID and previously, I mean, from my memory, what stands, one of the events that stands out in my mind was the 2011 floods uh, in Queensland and the subsequent cyclone that hit Queensland. That was, it, I mean, it was almost beyond belief how these central Queensland floods and the southeast Queensland floods and the cyclone in northern Queensland all came together and created the almost a sort of disaster movie-like scenario that, that we could not ever have imagined. Um, at that time, it also, and bear in mind, this is before Zoom and Teams and all the other 
technical platforms that we have now at our disposal. In 2011, we as an organization, we lost all communication. We had to evacuate our office in Brisbane because of the floods, along with the entire city, of course. We lost our server capacity. We, had, we were suddenly left with our mobile phone and you know, staff dispersed over the city, um, members cut off. I mean, it was, it was absolutely unimaginable, completely unimaginable. And we had to reestablish communications first internally to find out quite literally if everybody was safe. And then we had to kind of come up with a, a way of reaching out to our members. So a sort of a growing circle of stakeholders, if you like. And it was extremely challenging, extremely challenging. And we resorted at that time to literally uh, the entire staff that we had from home, needless to say, was tasked with ringing people on the telephone. And we had, you know, a thousand members to ring on the telephone, which was overwhelming and challenging because everybody faced their own challenges at home in some cases, you know, with houses flooded. And there we were dialing numbers on our mobiles. And it was very challenging. So that that was the sort of the semi-internal communication. But uh, the other lesson that came out of that was, and I credit the then state government and Premier Anna Bly with understanding the need of having a single source of truth. And the state government uh, implemented a system where we had, I can't remember now whether it was twice a week or more more time, or more regular a uh, week. Everybody was on a phone hookup. It was a phone hookup. There was certainly no Zoom, but we were ordered the police, the fire, fire, the emergency services, the premier herself, mayors of many, many towns, organizations like ours, we were all given access to every piece of information there was. Every cow that drowned was listed somewhere in a document that we had. And it was not all necessarily relevant to us, but it left no room for speculation. And it wasn't just the Premier talking about it, it was generally her, but anybody else, including us, making comment about particular aspects in our industry, we all had the same reference point. We weren't making things up. We didn't leave any gaps. And the general audience, including our industry, was at least given that certainty that we knew what we were talking about. So that consistent message, that sort of single source of truth in a crisis is fundamentally important. And we certainly had learned that lesson and implemented it more confidently in this COVID scenario, where we understood from the get-go that our industry, our members needed to hear from us and they needed to hear that we could hear them. You know, again, there's no point us ignoring ourselves about our relationships with governments you know, up the chain. That wasn't the key. It was the key saying to them, we hear you and we're talking to the government about you and about your needs. And calibrating that kind of message built up a lot of trust and credit, I guess, with our members who were reassured that there was somebody, there was somebody who could understand what their challenges were, you know, again, without overstating the benefits, but it certainly, uh, from the messages we got back, it was a sort of a lifeline, you know, the emergency beacon that they could see or hear, and whilst not perhaps solving every problem they had, I'm sure of that, but it at least gave them some kind of notion that they were not alone. And that is what happens very often, you know, in a big crisis, we might think we're all engaged and we have meetings and we talk with people and it's all happening. 
But if you're a small business or any business at the end of some lonely road where the postman doesn't come and you maybe your internet's cut off or or you don't even know who to talk to anymore about some overwhelming challenge, then you just occasionally need to know that somebody remembers you. And that's what we try to achieve. You've touched on a really good point there that in an absence of communication, often we as humans start to solve our own issues or make up our own stories about what might be the case. Why is this problem occurring? What might they, in inverted commas, be doing about it? And these stories, the longer they're left to sizzle, will start to cement themselves in the brains of people. And we've certainly seen that with COVID. We've seen that over the years with social media, with misinformation or fake news. These things get created and, and get out of control would you say that's one of the key points about communication, that, that there needs to be accessible information out there for everybody all the time? Yes, look, 100%. I mean, what you say is exactly true, and we are seeing this in COVID, perhaps more so than ever before, you know, that any gap in knowledge is filled ultimately by something that trickles into that vacant space. You know, that's that's precisely what is going on now. So you have to take people into your confidence, I think, and you have to share with people what you know and what you what you think in, in a coherent way that that again gives them the tools to form their own opinions. You know, you have to treat people like adults, uh, generally speaking. Uh, you can't concoct or confect a message. Uh, this whole idea of this spin, we talk a lot about spin, you know, and we, we are usually associated with some political messaging and all that. But And I think there is a bit of uh, truth and the concern that's sort of expressed. You know, we've become perhaps too good at spinning messages and communication professionals and PR experts and, and including through university education. I think the, the idea has somehow taken hold that you can engineer everything and, and bring about a certain reception of your message if you're just clever enough, you know, if you if the production values are good enough and if you if you've listened to the polls and then construed some kind of scenario and you have the right photo op, and I think it's a, a little bit at the expense of the truth of the message. You know, I think we have to have far more trust in truth. And I, I say this sort of, uh, uh, you know, from our perspective, but I think it generally applies to anybody. You know, if you if you don't actually believe what you say, no amount of communication spin and expertise will save you and you know again it's it's something I learned or I think I learned early in the piece you know doing presentations to uh, to an audience you know in a room um, I initially I thought in coming out of university I thought you had to present this like a sort of an academic argument in a paper you know you had to mount your argument and, and put as much information as you possibly can into the 10, 20 minutes, half an hour that you may have in a presentation. And it just is pointless, you know. The more important strategy is to ask yourself, what is the most important thing I want to tell this audience? The one, two or three points may be maximum. What are the three messages? Or possibly the first, the one message. And really make sure that you actually tell them something you strongly believe in that comes from your heart and comes from your from the core of your being that that is the most important thing at that moment that you ever thought of and you really want to tell this or the audience and i think that's the only way to approach to credibly approach that and 
I often, when I watch other people, you know, sometimes a message is delivered by uh, an inverted commas communication amateur. You know, it may be a young person or an old person or a person who's never done it before and is maybe very nervous in front of an audience or in front of a camera. And they struggle maybe to get it together. But then suddenly, sometimes they hit their stride and they, they touch on that the essence of what they really believe. And that message like hits you between the eyes and you then suddenly think, wow, what a, what a great presentation. Not because it was technically brilliant, but because you, you sense instinctively that that person really believes that she speaks or he speaks from the heart. Whereas you can have the slickest presenter, you know, who has a multimedia presentation, but if they don't actually believe it, it falls flat. And I think, you know, with all the technical skills that communication people are taught, including through this course here, you know, I think you can, you should never lose sight of the importance of the truth in the message and the connection to your being or in, in wanting to share that message. And we've seen that quite literally through the last year and a half, two years with COVID politicians have been on our screens a lot more and we have seen those moments I think we can all say that we've seen those moments when the truth and the emotion the true story the meaningful story shines through in a politician doing a presser rather than the pre-prepared speech which seems to me as you say to to almost glide over the listener to be something that we're kind of not really listening to until you hear that sound in the voice, which is hard to sum up, but it sounds like truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is uh, so important, you know, and I think we've become even more sensitive to this, or the audience has become more sensitive to this than ever before. You know, it is it is something that I think we have to recalibrate, just as we search, you know, to separate truth from fake news and all that, you know. I mean, it is probably more important than ever. Do you spend a lot of time at your organisation helping all of those other tourism businesses communicate themselves? Well, we not. I mean, not in as in a, we, we have some uh, mentoring and some some programs where consultants would yes would would try to address any any questions they may have or any any skill gaps they may have. Yes, we do have a number of things like that, but we also try by this sort of two-way communication, I guess, inspire them to take on a similar attitude to communication. I think you have to do teach by doing, I think, you know, just as much as anything else. And you have to um, make or hope that people recognize that the way you communicate with them is something that works and may work for them as well. And that's, again, being inclusive, you know, not talking down to people, but including them in a conversation in, in a sense, you know, I want people to respond to what we put out there and maybe even make critical comment or, or object to something you say, that's fine. You know, you, you, ma- you make them part of the conversation again. Do you think all of those businesses, everyone who makes up the tourism industry in Queensland and of course the government and yourselves, do you think that there are principles that they have in communicating strategically that influence their effectiveness as organisations? Probably. Uh, I'm not sure whether there's sort of a, a, a clear framework in place, but um, 
I think what what you have to what you what you can achieve, what an organization like us can hope to achieve, is to develop a culture, you know, a cultural backdrop against which these uh, things can grow. You know, it's really giving people a sense of belonging to something. Uh, I think in this instance, the tourism hospitality industry and feeling part of that. I think that's really where that's the best you can probably achieve. You know, creating. Uh, a sort of a, not not an exclusive, but a sort of a club, you know, that they belong to, with all the benefits that come with that, a tribe. <laughs> so, yeah, and that means, you know, you're not certainly not talking at, just talking at them. You're including them. You're you're sharing history. You're sharing events. Um, you're you're sharing uh, experiences together. That's really important, you know, because. Again, it it comes back to this sort of tribal family connections that you have. You know, you can't always remember every word everybody said, but you go, yeah, I trust that person. I, I want to be part of that. You know, I want to be part of that conversation. So it's really creating a culture, I think, of communication that is important for such, again, such a complex organism. You know, you have to have a, a cultural connection with each other. Daniel, you've given lots of good advice uh, today in the discussion for our students and our listeners to garner from your experiences. But I wonder, is there one key thing that you would tell our students about the importance of understanding communication in the organisation setting? Yes, look, I think it is this listening to your audience. Listen, understand who you're talking to. You know, when you communicate, it's not about you. It's not about what you think so much it's about what does your audience need to hear or want to hear and what is the, the message that you want to take and look i often i mean it's funny i mean this is going to sound slightly funny but uh, often when i'm asked to comment in a more public forum about an issue i, I almost can see a radar on top of my head <laughs> trying to scan you know 360 what's going on around me you know what what um obstacles might I be hitting by saying something, you know, who would have an issue with this and why, and um, who is the most important audience. And, and because once a message is out there, it's out, there. you know, uh, you know how you sign release forms and things. I mean, I've, it doesn't matter, you know, people say, well, I'll tell you something in confidence, you know, it just doesn't work anymore. We don't live in that kind of world anymore. You have to ask yourself every time you open your mouth, role like mine or any other member of our team, would I be saying this to anybody, you know, from the prime minister to the cleaner, to my partner, to my children? Could, would I, could I stand behind what I said? And if the answer is no, then you may have to rethink what you're about to say. I think that is a really a fundamental principle of, of uh, being honest with yourself and being honest with your audience. Honesty and truth at the core of the values that you have for communication there. Thank you very much for your insights, Daniel Gishwin. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much, Daniel. It was a pleasure. It made me think about uh, some of these issues uh, myself. That's just very good. Thank you. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast.